Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk about a, a program that works with families on early childhood education. Mary Catherine Carmichael was a late scratch today, and we're kind of happy she uh, she was because she's dealing with illnesses in her family. But uh, we ha- I have two guests today. Barb Horvath is here. She's the executive director of the Family Resources Center of Monroe County. And Anna Maria Mecca is with us. She's family resource director at Edgewood Primary. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome, Barb, Anna Maria. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks for being here. And we do miss Mary Catherine. We were just sort of joking about (laughs) about that. We would prefer she was here. Um, Let's let's sort of set the stage for the discussion because uh, I didn't even mention the the name or the acronym for the for the program, but it's the CAPE program that we're going to be talking about. Um, And it's uh, we're in phase three of CAPE. Is that? Says it is Cape Three. Cape exactly. Three, yep. right? So, um, if we could sort of set the stage by having you, Barb, explain what the Cape program is all about, what Cape stands for, those kind of things. <laughs> we'll start right with that. Okay. Um, Cape is the Community Alliances to Promote Education, and it's funded um, has been funded for the last six years through the Lilly Foundation. Um, and we continue with that funding. Cape Two ended um, a year ago. And we are now in our sustainability phase, so our funding source is um, much smaller than it was during the CAPE two stages when we had multiple programs going out throughout the Monroe County. Um, now as we've – in CAPE three, we've sort of spent a lot of time as we were preparing to, to, um, to go after those funds in putting – looking at sort of what the best of the best was and where we really needed to continue strong focuses and decided that the Family Resource Centers, which in the end have combined um, the Family Literacy Programs of CAPE Two and the Resource Centers of CAPE Two into one program um, to focus on children's really early learning, pretty much birth through age eight at this point in time. Would you say that's about right, yeah. Maria? Yeah. How many resource centers are there? We have three resource centers that are housed in schools, um, Edgewood Primary being one of them. Um, Summit Elementary has a family resource center and Templeton Elementary. But we have some outreach programs also. We continue our wonderful partnership with Shalom and have a family resource center there and have enjoyed being in that new facility to have the space. And hopefully as they move again, we'll we'll have space to continue the center there. Um, our partnership with the city of Bloomington through Parks and Recreation has allowed us to have an amazing third floor space at the Banneker Center. And, um, we have a part-time staff there and we are also at the Broadview Learning Center now, which is a really unique and wonderful opportunity for us also. And mm-hmm. we do outreach programs at other places also, but those are sort of the six places we're most likely to find us. Okay. Well, I want to talk about what, what resources the Resource Center provides and I think Anna Maria would probably be uh, the, the best place to go for that at this point. Uh, talk about uh, you know your experience at, out at Edgewood Primary. What kind of resources do you have out there, and what's sort of a typical day like? Well, we do a number of things out there. Um, a lot of what we try to do in the schools is, is uh, model effective collaborative practices that are designed to support family engagement in the schools. And so um, some of our programs might look like a family night, a monthly family night to bring the entire family into the school um, for fun and to also learn some easy home learning strategies with their children. Um, We also run programs that invite families' parents into the classroom during school so they can see how, how and what their children are learning so they can support their child's education at home. Um, We run preschool programs in some of our schools so that, um, and the beauty of that is these children come to school when they're three, four, and five, and then they enter kindergarten and this is already their school. There isn't this huge transition for them. Um, They've identified it as their school and they're ready to to go. And that's been one of the... um, the bonuses, I think, of, of some of the things that we've done, bringing families into the school. The younger siblings really are ready and it's already their school. Mm-hmm. So this I – mean, in sort of a general sense, you know, we, we talk a lot about education um, these days at all levels. I mean there, there are any number of topics that, that uh, people get engaged in conversations about that, that mm-hmm. involve the schools and education. But I think there also often is the discussion that, well, 
the schools can't do everything. You know, they need help from the business community, from um, other organizations in town, but mainly they need help from parents. And it seems like what you're talking about is trying to engage that process early, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point, and, and I think Anna Marie and I would both like to speak to that a little bit. You know, we recognize that parents really are their children's first teachers and, and, and on an ongoing basis. I mean, they're always going to be an important part of their life. The research is so clear that children really are born learning, which is part of a partnership we have with United Way that focuses on on really born learning. And to help parents understand ways that they can just engage in in learning activities with their children just by learn just by using the whatever they're doing at home during the day, you know, is a really important first step for that. And I also think you you really um, hit the nail on the head when we talk about partnerships. Um, it, it really is a collaborative effort between the school. Um, families and the community, um, and what we're, we also hope to do is is actually build real uh, groups in each school where that's recognized, and so there be a committee of people, a partnership committee, with on which there would be family representatives, community representatives, and uh, staff members for each school, and looking at ways to involve everyone in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, as you said, you know, we can't ask schools to do, add on, to do more. And in the same way, we can't ask families, sometimes they're overwhelmed, um, to do more. Get involved in your child's school when you work eight eight in the morning to six at night. Or, mm-hmm. um, so I think we need to look at creative ways to involve families and redefine what it means for families to be involved in school. Mm-hmm. And um, How would you do that? Well, we've done that to some extent at Edgewood Primary. Um, we, at the very beginning of the school year, do a parent survey and ask parents what ways in which they would like to or are capable of volunteering. And we have a book in our school um, that a parent put it in an Excel program, so it's all laid out who does what. But there are families, for instance, that never set foot in the school where the mom might sew the outfits for the holiday program or where the mom or dad might regularly communicate via um, email with the teacher and connect that way. And so we really have a long list of ways that families can be involved in our school with, without ever setting foot in the school. There's some formal ways to do that, too. I know that um, Fairview Elementary, for example, has been using the Three for Me volunteer kind of program approach with parents where three hours a year is asking the city, again, has been really engaged in supporting those efforts. So I think we are starting to think out of the box a little bit. It doesn't mean somebody has to show up on a regular basis. It means that that we really value parents' involvement in their children's education starting at birth and continuing on. Right. Okay. 855-0811 is our phone number in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Talking today with Barb Horvath, the executive director of the Family Resource Centers of Monroe County, and Anna Maria Mecca, who's Family Resource Director at Edgewood Primary. I might mention also, I I know the CAPE program um, was not unique to Bloomington and Monroe County. I mean, it's a statewide program, and so there might be folks from uh, any of our listening area who would want to join this discussion, I would hope, about early childhood education and and how this program is playing out here or to even share what's going on in their own community. So we'd be – we'd welcome those phone calls too. Um, Anna Marie, I know that – I know – I've known Barb for several years because she's been involved in the MCCSC for a long time, but I don't know your background. How did you get involved out of Edgewood Primary? Oh, my gosh. Uh, (laughs) Well, I had gotten wind of the CAPE project and heard that – in fact, Monroe County did get the the Cape Two grant, and um, my my passion has always been in early learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on actually on the faculty here at IU in the Speech and Hearing Sciences department at the time, mm-hmm. and I really just wanted to do something different. It was clear to me that this was a developing program, and I would have a lot of creativity <laughs> um, in the position, and um, 
I gave it a shot. I heard that Edgewood Primary was about to open in 2002, so I knew I was going into a new school. And I think it's a little easier to join a faculty that is starting anew and bring in new ideas. It's a little bit easier to make change. And I thought, well, you know, I'll give this a try. And that's how I got involved in Cape. Well, it's interesting having the two of you because Barbara's been with the corporation, MCCFC, for a, uh, a while. How many years? Well, I actually retired a couple of years ago from MCCSC, uh-huh. but I was with him for close to 20 years. Yeah, so you've seen you know, a, lot of, a lot of change, a lot of programs, mm-hmm. a lot of efforts to um, just uh, enhance education at the public schools. Um, so I guess I'd, I'd ask you first, how does this program, I mean, how, how would you characterize this program in terms of, of its opportunity to, to really make a difference in the, in the lives of, of kids and families and communities? You know, I, in some respects, that's a discussion that we continue to have with with the six um, directors and myself over and over again, and, and trying to make that determination. When we had a pretty in depth discussion again just this week about that, you know, um, we're hoping soon to meet with all of the elementary principals here in in um, in Real County Schools. We just finished a. a elementary school-wide survey of parents to get their feedback on just sort of, you know, their relationship with the schools and what the strengths were. And um, so we're we're putting that data together to share with principals. And then our efforts, I think, are going to be to be available to consult with schools and PTOs and say, in what ways would you like to further enrich your opportunities for parents and how can we help you engage them in the process of educating your children? You know, um, we, as we said, we really can't ask teachers and faculty to do more. I mean, their plates are pretty full right now. So what we'd like to do is help provide some resources and supports for that. We're re, um, revising a binder that we'd put together a couple of years ago on family literacy strategies um, for the elementary schools and um, and including information about the agencies that we partner with. There's We right now have 31 partners that, and many of them would like to be engaged in school activities and really, you know, help refine that partnership between families and schools. So give me some examples of, of some of your partners. You have 31 partners. We have 31 partners. Um, the YMCA, Parks and Recreation, mm-hmm. IU Science Department, IU Math Department, um, many of the athletic teams have been wonderful about coming to do reading nights and stuff with students. Um, Wonder Lab. Bloomington Hospital. Bl- Bloomington Hospital is a huge partner. They've been great. And as we, you know, our overall kind of mantra, I guess, if you will, is um, safe and healthy children entering a school ready to learn. And that means entering kindergarten ready to learn and entering school every day ready to learn being safe and healthy. And the hospital is provided some enormous resources through Sheila Evans' department. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the age group that you're mostly focused on is the... Birth to eight. Birth to eight? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you get them very early. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and you talked about, I think it was Anna Maria that talked about um, having kids, or maybe it was you, Barb, I can't remember. I, my That's mind okay. goes, you know, I'm older than that, <laughs> birth to eight. Um, but you were talking about how parents can help the learning process just through everything that they're doing. I mean, if they're, I guess, if they're engaged in cooking dinner, that that can be a, a, a teachable moment, as they say. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Um, yeah, we. That's the the idea that we want to impart to families is that you don't have to sit down at a table and do homework with your child. Mm-hmm. We like to call it home learning, and it happens throughout. The day when you're with your children, um, sorting the laundry um, into light and dark, mm-hmm. matching socks. These are all academic activities depending on the age of your child. As you said, cooking, um, if the child is, is pre-reading, you can do sequencing with them. Um, the language involved in sequencing activities is really important to, for sentence building and, and understanding language. Um, there are lots of silly games you can play, and kids love being silly. And um, if you play with sounds in words, that's phonological awareness, and, the, and we all know that that's um, a building block to, to reading. So if you, I often tell my parents, um, take a song, and play in this game with your kids where you take the first letter of every word in the song and make it the same letter. Like jingle bells would be bingle bells. Mm-hmm. And you sing the song 
all the way through, starting with that B sound. And um, just silly games you like just that. Do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that this oh, morning. Okay. Um, but that, that's making children aware that that one sound changes the meaning of all those words. Mm-hmm. And that's a pre-reading skill. Um, and families don't realize that these silly, fun games that they play are instrumental mm-hmm. in teaching children how to read. What kind of reaction have you gotten um, from parents? Well, let me let me add a little bit to that before you answer. But it seems to me that you you really are um, stressing with parents that in a school there's one type of learning that goes on in school that teachers do a formal kind of learning uh, teaching and learning, but that um, education is a you know, seven day a week, fifty two week a year proposition. So. Christmas break is coming up. That doesn't mean a child's education needs to stop. Um, are you finding that parents are sort of um, uh, getting the message, I guess? Or is it that uh, – am I making it sort of too uh, – there's a message being delivered and somebody, and somebody needs to get the message or is it much more subtle than that? No, I think there is a message being delivered. And um, I think many parents do get it, um, and maybe they get it for a week or two weeks or a month, and that's why we keep revisiting this this (laughs) message over and over again. And I think part of what we're hoping to do is that that the parents will hear the message when they go to the pediatrician. They'll hear the message when they go to the Monroe County Library. Um, We're hoping for um, this Mm community-mindedness around um, um, learning is everywhere and it's easy. It's easy to do. Um, and so, you know, it's like with anything. If you start an exercise program, you're really jazzed and you do it for two weeks and then you sort of start forgetting about it. Right. And I'm hoping that um, if parents hear this message over and over from multiple players, it will become more inherent in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a dream sort of is to think about going to the grocery store and seeing parents of toddlers there talking about, you know, do you want red juice or blue juice and giving them choices and, you know, Look at the box. Oh, look, look at the sea on the box or look at the monkey here or, you know, I mean, it's part of it is just it is the conversation. It's pointing things out as you go. It's asking kids to make choices. It's, you know, it it, it can be such a real a natural flow. Now, I, I started getting really interested in this very early learning a few years ago when I was teaching some reading method courses and I was reading one of Mem Fox's books on reading aloud to children and she said that children should have a thousand books read to them before they come to school. Wow. Now, if you think about that, mm-hmm. now you think 365 days a year, five years or so, you know, it really isn't that intense. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a thousand different books, but she said they, children just need to hear to hear reading, they, and it needs to be pleasurable. They need to be sitting in a comfortable place, and it should start, you know, it could start as early as day one or prenatally, actually. Um, but it has to be a pleasurable experience initially. You don't force kids to listen to a book. You sit and snuggle with them or, you know, and when they get bored, you stop because a two-year-old doesn't know when the book is actually ended. You know, kids should handle books. They should know where the front and the back is. They should have all of those experiences before they come. And Anne Marie was talking on our way over here this morning about um, – you know, thinking about there's families who maybe don't feel that they have the educational background to be a teacher for their child, but truly, you know, we talk, we can talk about things and talk, even just talking through the pictures in the books and having kids make predictions or talk about the colors of the animals. Any of those things really provide rich literacy, early experiences mm-hmm. for kids and families. It's interesting how uh, you know how these timing is everything. Last night, my, my wife and I were having a dinner with some young friends of ours and they have a daughter who's about six months old maybe yeah. and and the dad who's uh, uh, he was just talking about how they only have three books but he reads one of the books every night to the child and that's sort of their ritual mm-hmm. at six months old and I thought mm-hmm. hmm, I yeah. guess I guess they get it yeah, do. That's, good. that's good. It is good. Yeah. <laughs> we gave him a fourth book. <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I wanted to talk about the uh, – you said you're in the sustainability phase. I mean the, the Lilly Foundation or the Lilly Endowment is a great organization and they provide mm-hmm. a lot of seed funding, more than seed funding for, for programs. But uh, if 
you're in the sustainability phase, it means the funding is eventually going to go away. So what, what do you need from the community to be able to sustain these family resource centers in, in the, the, at the level that you'd like to sustain them? Um, well, you know, on April 25th, we're going to have a community conversation, and I hope it sort of helps us define that a little bit um, more clearly for the community as a whole. You know, our efforts right now are really to build community-mindedness and and sort of um, shared networking of information. Anna Marie was saying earlier about having information in every place where parents of 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 young children would be, whether that's, you know, in the pediatrician's office at WIC, at the public library, in the you know, in the um, laundromats, all of those places that just give them strategies to use. It's, it is sort of a community-mindedness about recognizing that, you know, every child should have books in their hands. And I think we do a good job of modeling that with a lot of our, our um, story hours. We give books to families. It's part of the reason that they want to be there is because they get books to take home and they're books that are, you know, offer kids rich literacy experiences. We certainly are looking for additional partners. I mean, there's mm-hmm. part of it that we can build community mindedness around, but there also is a part that says that there has to be some someone who can continue to provide some direct service. You know, I mean, we're right now on the brink of really doing some more um, in-depth work with um, preschool and early child care providers. And that's an ongoing process to model reading aloud to kids, to give them strategies to use and build early literacy and, and learning skills with children. So, I also think you know, part of what we're doing now is building banks of information. We're doing the legwork on things such as the home learning tip of the week, mm-hmm. where we've got um, a tip each week that could go home with every child in school. Um, And this isn't something that would be more work for a school. Um, If we gave them this bank of information and teachers would put it in their newsletter, it just gives that reminder, that weekly reminder that we are partners. And it just changes things a bit and it would sustain a piece of the home learning. So there are ways in which beyond finding um, funding sources, we could set these things up where schools... All schools see themselves as partners with families, and so they do these things regularly because they know there's a payoff. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the uh, CAPE program is going on until – it's 2009, right? Correct. The, the, okay. So, so I, I want to assure our, our <laughs> listeners this isn't a fundraising program. It, more, it is more of a community awareness kind of right. program to, to talk about uh, everything that's going on out there. But, you know, eventually – maybe in 2009 we'll do that fundraising. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, probably not. This is, this is a national public radio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. Outside of the local calling area – and you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I uh, hope to get some listeners on. It's probably a good time to take a break, though. We, we are halfway through the program already. It does go fast. So uh, if you have any questions or comments about the CAPE program, about early childhood education, about the things that you've been hearing about this first half hour, please give us a call. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for Reading, Writing, and Rhythm. It's a progressive evening of food, fun, and funk to support literacy programs for all Monroe County Community School Corporation students. Dancing with the Dynamics, a silent auction, breakfast after midnight. It takes place at Alumni Hall in the Indiana Memorial Union, Sunday, December 31st, 8.30 p.m. to 1 a.m., More about this and many other items available at wfiu.indiana.edu.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with my guest today, Barb Horvath, the Executive Director of the Family Resource Centers of Monroe County, and Anna Maria Mecca, the Family Resource Director at Edgewood Primary, one of the three resource centers. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, it would be a good idea, as we've talked about off the air, to, to, to talk a, a little bit about uh, you know, how many kids are really ready to learn when they get to school, what some of the statistics show, and um, then, you know, how, how – uh, you know, I know you've got some data that you track these mm-hmm. things. So what, what are some of the, the messages that people should have? Well, I think these are really important messages for this community. You know, we have um, <clears throat> such a range of, of schools, populations, um, socioeconomically as, as well as um, just in terms of the levels of parental involvement for whatever reasons. Um, as we look at one school, we have over 80 percent of those children entering school for kindergarten, you know, having sort of the prerequisite skills that we would anticipate, at least 80 percent of those prerequisite skills. And we have some schools that have 5 to 10 percent of their children entering school with those early learning skills um, well enough in place that they're ready to grapple with kindergarten curriculum. And I think, you know, we need to recognize, too, that kindergarten curriculum today is is pretty much what the first grade curriculum was. You know, we've moved pretty fast now with, with the standards approach to learning, which is certainly appreciated and allows us to um, be more accountable but it also means that children really have to be up and ready to run. And kindergarten isn't a playtime anymore. It's really, mm-hmm. you know, I, they I, get down to it. Yeah, <laughs> obviously I didn't know that because I, I remember my playtime in kindergarten. But what, what does it mean if, if there is a kindergarten classroom and only 5 to 10 percent of the kids are ready, mm-hmm. ready to learn at the, the level that the curriculum calls for? Well, then, you know, generally it means that students are entering school two to three years behind their peers in their pre-literacy skills. Mm-hmm. And and the difficult thing for for schools themselves is to try to make up for that difference in you know the very short period of time that they have because we know also that if students aren't reading fairly fluently by the time they're in third grade that they're going to probably be struggling readers for for most of their life so we have this huge gap to start with we're trying to you know pick kids up and and push them very quickly when possibly they're not even developmentally ready to do that so it goes back to saying that that really early learning that parents can provide at home by just the playful kinds of things that Anna Marie were talking about, that's what it takes. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Or certainly to, um, you know, we have wonderful, and we've got some just amazingly wonderful um, early childhood centers and opportunities for children in this in this area. And the Monroe County Public Library offers great story hours. We think that we do a really nice job of providing other opportunities to model for families, two ways to do to get their kids really engaged in that pre-literacy process. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, and one of our goals really is to bring that, that percentage up mm-hmm. so we don't have so many kids walking into school who aren't going to feel uncomfortable within the next couple of years at their learning levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, since we mentioned kindergarten and the kindergarten curriculum, I might, might digress a little bit, but I guess I want to get both of your uh, opinions on, on full-day kindergarten because that's going to be a, an issue in the – in the state and in the legislature, is that a uh, should that be a requirement for all kids? Would that be a, a good good plan, Barb? Um, gosh, you know I'm it's I'm of several different minds <clears throat> about that. I. I, I, you know, it's really hard to disagree with having a full-day kindergarten program for children. I think it will be interesting to see what the state requirements are that this, those programs have to have for kids because I still think that one of the things that we're seeing that children are missing is the opportunity just to learn to play with one another and the fact that they're losing negotiation skills. They don't know how that give and take works because they don't have opportunities just to learn through play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that that gets built in mm-hmm. early on too. You know, there's a side of me because my kindergarten experience was very playful is that there should be time for kids just to be playful children too. So I hope we figure out a way to balance all of that. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a good point, what will happen in those full-day kindergartens. And and I'm not I'm not certain about the requirement of full-day kindergarten for all, but I certainly would like it to be an option for families um, that they could send their children to kindergarten for a full day. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, and make it and make it financially reasonable for. I mean, if it's full day kindergarten that's mandated, I'm assuming there won't be a cost, and I think that will make a huge difference to a lot of families who struggle with that right now. Mm-hmm. All right, eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And we had uh, somebody take advantage of that last opportunity, and the uh, email says, Steinsville Elementary published a book in Phase 2. How do you see publishing projects engaging families and adding to community-mindedness? That's a great question. I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that. We've had several um, activities around student er, building anthologies, school anthologies, and I think they've been wonderful experiences for families. Um, we've worked with Pen and Publish, which is a local company that that's done that, and they kind of have begun this. You know, I think have really supported our efforts around that. Um, just not to advertise, but they're just really wonderful people <laughs> who understand okay. schools yeah. and and how that needs to come together. I think um, that that's the kind of opportunity that we'd like to share when we start to consult with schools about something that's not terribly time consuming for for teachers and for staff in the building, but really brings that school community together and and gives them opportunities to see themselves as writers, no matter what they are, bringing their own stories to the table. Mm-hmm. I, I see it as just one of many ways in which we want to give information to families and schools about such things. Um, a similar thing that schools can do is um, share information about families writing family stories. Um, we've done that in some places um, where we the whole idea of a family sitting down together and writing a story about something that happened in their family um, is just – I don't think family realized how – how much fun it would be. Um, When we did it, kids always wanted to write a story about a time their parents were embarrassed or did something really (laughs) silly. Um, And everybody was just laughing and recalling the event and they wrote it together. And it was a fabulous literacy opportunity. And many families, again, don't think of that. Oh, let's write about the time we ran out of gas on vacation and dad was really mad and all the kinds of things that the kids (laughs) love to see. and it's a great literacy opportunity. They put it in a little book and their family stories that they read to each other over time. Mm-hmm. Another really nice opportunity around that too is working with Bloomington Playwrights Project who have done some marvelous things with, with some of the schools. And again, it's an opportunity for families to come together and to write their own play and to produce it and to choose the characters. And you know, just and those type of, of experiences we don't necessarily think as learning or literacy experiences, but they're just the heart of what it is. Well, the, the idea that, that a lot of things that people do together that are fun are also learning experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of uh, about the, the kindergarten issue, too, right. that a lot of what happens is, is uh, you know, you both made great points. A lot of what happens is kids learn how to deal with one another and they learn how to negotiate and they learn how to how to mm-hmm. solve problems and do a lot of things just in the, the you know, deciding who's going to play on what team or who's going to play on what game. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or, or whose turn it is to share or not to share. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I, I want to sort of maybe go back a little bit because I, I, I want to get a, a clear picture of what goes on at the Family Resource Centers and in, in the, the schools. Um, you know, in a typical day at Edgewood Primary, would, would a lot of – would you be seeing a lot of children in the center? Would parents come in with – uh, with their preschoolers, um, would you have a, a lot of – would teachers be coming in to talk with you? How, how would a typical day um, – is, tip- is there such well, a thing? Well, <laughs> there isn't. It depends yeah. on the day of the week. Um, oftentimes, there will be preschool families in the resource center mm-hmm. at Edgewood Primary. We're, we're fortunate enough to, um, to have a really wonderful space for our resource center out at the school. And so um, there are families that come in. Um, the Resource Center has take-home books, literacy backpacks, things for families to check out. Um, we also field phone calls from uh, families that maybe are new to the area and don't know where the resources are. Or they have a, a, a crisis that's come up and they don't know how to access resources. So we do take calls such as those. Um, we work with um, Teachers will come up to us and say, you know, I'm really trying to connect with this family. Their phone's disconnected. Do you have any way that you know of that we can get in touch with them? So we work with teachers. We work with um, preschool families. We also run programs that engage uh, the school-age families in the classroom. So you might see us running a a parent group of school-age 
parents, parents of school-aged children, um, who talk about uh, going into the classroom, maybe what they learned going into the classroom uh-huh. or what they saw happening, um, how they could extend it at home. So we run little support groups like that of um, parents of school-aged children as they grapple with um, the issues of raising children. Mm-hmm. And you guys have a play group every Tuesday morning from 10 to 1130. That's yeah, it's a preschool play group. Play group. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have these, um, we run two meetings a week for um, the parents who are going into the classroom and learning what their children are learning. We run a story party once a month. So it really depends on which day of the week you walk in, uh-huh. what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, uh, seems to me, another real difficult issue that schools face today, and, and much more so than maybe when you know, when we were all young children, is the the changes in society, the, just the idea. You talked about the support group for parents, but I would assume that you have a lot more single-family parents mm-hmm. than would have been the case 20 years ago or, or 40 years ago uh, when I was in grade school, 45, <laughs> 40, 45 or so. You don't need to get specific uh, no, okay, there. No, all right. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, how does that play itself out in these resource centers? Do you have to spend some time negotiating, you know, issues that are like family issues might involve custody issues? Um, or We don't do – we actually fortunately have not had a lot of the, that specific kind of custody issue. Mm-hmm. The, way, the way it plays out is um, we ask parents what they would like from us and oftentimes they want a parenting workshop. Mm-hmm. Because they're struggling raising their children alone, so we will talk. We'll run a parenting workshop, one, two, three, magic, or do, or refer them to um, a group that's doing developing capable people, which is another uh, parenting workshop. Um, one thing that we've been able to do in terms of um, the the different family constellations is bring families together to support each other. And so in our parent groups, um, people will talk about, you know, not having affordable child care. What do you do? What do you do? And um, one thing that's happened at our school this year that's been really wonderful is um, one of the biggest barriers to parents being in the classroom or attending events is child care. Um, if, if an event or a parenting class, you know, uh, doesn't include the children. Um, and in our group this year, very spontaneously, parents started sharing child care in the school. So in the resource center, a parent would say, I'll go into my child's classroom for half an hour if you watch my child, and then you can do the same in your classroom. And so there's been just a really nice um, camaraderie of the parents that have come together at the resource center, and they find each other, and it's, it's really a really very nice support. So I think that's one of the ways in which we've seen um, the resource center helping out particularly with families of, of, of their single-parent families. Mm-hmm. So, from, again, from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. You've convinced me uh, that these resource centers are very valuable. There are three that you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. What would it take to get more? Well, there's actually six. Six, okay. And, yeah, and those um, – we're hoping to, to maintain all of those. Um, you know, it, it's such an interesting question because do we need a place or do we need the resources? I think one of the things that we haven't right. talked much about is just making resources available to parents so that they know they can come to any one of the directors and say, this is what my needs are right now. We're really fortunate to have um, Nancy Armstrong at Templeton and Shalom who is very fluent in Spanish and has a wonderful job of supporting the Hispanic families in a variety of ways in part because they – you know, many of them are still trying to figure out the schools and the and the preschool options and all of those kinds of things. Um, so, it, you know, what we'd like, though, is for in every elementary school over time for there not to be necessarily a family resource center because schools don't have space for that, but at least a place in the building where families can come and get information about developmentally appropriate activities for children and, you know, if they need to know how to get, you know, how to register for Hoosier Health-wise or whatever those specific needs are. Because, again, we're talking about safe and healthy children. So it really is all of that. So can there at least be a resource area that parents can just, you know, that's non-threatening that you can just walk in and pick up information when you need it? Okay. Now, when you and I talked earlier, you mentioned uh, earlier meaning uh, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. um, 
You refer to the touch points approach. I don't think we've talked about that today. Could you explain what that is? I will explain that um, briefly if I can <laughs> do it briefly. <clears throat> Um, Dr. Brazelton has designed the touch points approach along with his faculty at Boston Hospital, and he was here about a year and a half ago presenting to the community as a whole many um, many providers for services for children from the medical community to um, the libraries and, and everyone. Um, also had done a session for families uh, for the evening. And it occurred to us that that was a way to um, start to blend our community together so that we could use a similar voice. Touchpoints is really about empowering parents to be able to anticipate what stages their child is going to go into next and be prepared to know how to really effectively um, support their child. You know, one of the interesting pieces to me about touch points always is I'd never thought about the fact that oftentimes before children kind of reach another developmental milestone, if you will, there's some regression in their behavior for a while. Kids that have been sleeping through the night all at once are up jumping up and down in their crib as they're just about ready to walk and they're practicing sort of those skills at two in the morning when we least want them to practice those (laughs) skills. But if you know those kinds of things ahead of time, then you know, number one, it's typical behavior. It's not behavior that you can really change. You just have to figure out how to live through those times. Um, And it and the other thing is that it's a really big piece of recognizing that parents are great experts on their children and that we value the passion that the parents bring, whether they're upset or ecstatic or delighted or whatever it is, that we work with that to help them more clearly define their role as parents. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, instead of us being prescriptive in our approach to parents, it really is about finally having a collaborative approach to saying we share responsibility for the strong development of this child as a learner, as a human being, as a citizen of our community. Makes a lot of sense. I I think teachers and schools and parents working together. Mm All right. 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can send email to noon at indiana.edu. And it must be email day. Got another one. says, for people who'd like to be of help to others during the holidays and would like to buy children's books for families who might not otherwise have them available, what would be the best place to donate these books? An elementary school, um, Monroe County United Ministries, Head Start. Is there some place where we could feel sure that donated books would reach families with preschool children? Thanks. Well, they're certainly welcome to bring them to any of our family resource centers. We would be delighted to make sure they're distributed. And I I would believe that any of the other places that were mentioned would be very, very pleased to provide more literacy opportunities for families. That's a wonderful idea. And again, tell uh, our listeners where the family resource centers are, so if they want to drop some off. Um, There's one out at Edgewood Primary Mm -hmm. School in Ellettsville. Mm -hmm. There's a family resource center at at Tempe. Templeton Elementary and one at Summit Elementary. And then there are three satellite centers, Banneker, Shalom, and Broadview Learning Center. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, there are several upcoming events that you uh, we should talk about a little bit. I, we mentioned You mentioned the community conversation, which will be a big one. That should be a, a significant event in this community, trying to figure out what we want for our young children. But there are other events before then. There are a number of other events before then. Um, January 15th is Martin Luther King Day, and Shalom Center will be hosting um, a free clinic for children, a medical clinic, um, so that they can not only enroll for for Hoosier Health-wise, but also they'll do developmental profiles and um, dental exams and all of those kinds of things. And we're actually also on that day with the Family Resource Centers that are a combination of Templeton and Shalom looking for individuals who would help coordinate a food and um, diaper drive. The The Templeton Family Resource Center does a family free market every Friday afternoon from 2 to 3 o'clock. And we um, are really fortunate to work with the food bank on that. But um, what, one of the things we're finding is that diapers are a wonderful way to get families of young children to, to come. <laughs> so, um, so coordination around that would be great. Um, um, 
we're hosting an event on January 18th at Eagle's Landing in Ellettsville. Um, and it's really representative of the kind of event we try to um, bring to the community. It's um, a family fun night. We try to do one of those a month, and many of the resource centers do that. Um, and this is in partnership with um, Ellettsville Tri-Kappa and the Bloomington Hospital. And what we're doing here is, is it's got, it has a healthy lifestyle um, theme. So the Bloomington Hospital um, has got an education coordinator coming out to talk to families about poisons in the house. Um, TriCap is going to help us out with um, healthy snacks and things children can make that are good for you. Um, we are hoping to have a community partner that will help. It's often the YMCA works with us on indoor physical fitness activities in January. So when your children are bouncing off the walls, <laughs> how you can do things inside that are, are fun and get them moving um, and not sitting in front of a television. Okay. And then on February 17th, um, the ooey gooey lady is going to be at Ivy Tech, and um, she's actually going to be doing a presentation on science um, for early care providers. And we're really hoping to get a lot of um, private daycare home people there and, and even grandparents who take care of their grandchildren mm-hmm. and, you know, neighborhood um, things like that. So that would be a fun event. And oh, well, now, now, I'm not familiar with the ooey gooey lady. So. <laughs> That's too bad. So, really. yeah, to give me a little more info on that. Well, Anne-Marie, do you know much about her? Because I, I well, haven't seen her present. Uh, I haven't seen her present either, but I'm really excited about it's a good it. good reason for everybody to go. She does, you know, <laughs> kitchen science kinds of things. Ah, okay. um, fun activities, hands-on learning mm-hmm. um, that you can do at home and in your mom-and-pop daycare. <laughs> yeah. um, and also on the 17th, the, um, the Children's Expo will be held at Binford and Rogers. And that's been the, chil- the child find previously, but it is a developmental screening opportunity for families who just want to see if where their kids are on the developmental range for preschool mm-hmm. children. And then again, April 25th, of course, the community conversation, which we're, right. we're excited about. Yeah. Okay. We only have about five minutes to go. So if anybody has a last-minute question, you can still call us, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And, of course, I have some last-minute questions. One is how many, how many kids do you think you touch every year? How many people are, are, uh, are affected by these resource centers? I can yeah. give you a pretty exact number, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to look at you, Barb, for that. <laughs> we, we report to the Lilly Foundation um, twice a year, and our last report was in the end of October, and at that point, for over a six-month period, we had um, 5,346 children and 4,568 adults participate in programs, so not quite 10,000. Some of those are duplicated because there's parents who will come every week to, for example, the McDonald's um, playgroup in in Ellettsville, Um, but still... It's a pretty amazing number. I was fortunate enough last week to be at Edgewood Primary for their story uh, or their party. Or, and there were 25 children there with their families and just having a wonderful time. So so we're feeling um, that we're, you know, we're getting to know lots of families really well. And, and you know, there's some really, I think, powerful stories about how families have come to feel supported in their efforts. You know, um, parents who probably, and if you had mentioned before, single parents, but it's families in general that feel somewhat isolated. Mm-hmm. And um, this has been an opportunity for them to really get to know and network with other families. We have um, some daycares that are now bringing their kids for story hours, some small home-based daycares, you know, and, and we feel like that opportunity to model for a daycare provider who touches kids every day when we can do that once a week and give them information to take mm-hmm. back is really powerful. So, Are there any individual stories that you would like to uh, – that, that you recall, Anna Maria, that, that – you know, obviously you're not going to name names, but uh, do you recall something that you – you know, when you went home at night or something, you, know, you were like, wow, this is why I do this. This is a, a – you know, this kind of connection is – well, one uh, comes to mind because um, Barb just mentioned daycare homes, and um, we do try to visit small daycare homes that aren't on anybody's radar screen. We just found out that this person is taking care of their grandchildren or a number of kids, and um, I visited this home where it was a grandparent watching her grandchildren then and also some of the neighborhood children, and I brought out there some board books, those stiff books that kids 
can't easily destroy. And um, this particular daycare home had never seen a board book, and she was so excited about them. And then um, a few weeks later, this was um, last year, a few weeks later, called me to tell me that that was the gift she was giving all of her children at the holiday. And I was really excited that I could have, that I introduced this idea, and then she took it and gave it as a gift to her family so that they could, maybe they already knew about board books, maybe they didn't. But um, this this provider didn't know about them, and now she knows about them, and she uses them. And, uh-huh. and I feel as though, okay, I had an impact in one little corner. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and now in the last couple of minutes, I'm going to give you both sort of a free shot because it is the holiday season. <laughs> I would imagine most of, uh, if not all, of the resource centers could have some needs or some wishes, some things that they could could use. Um, so, you know, what are they? If it, what, what, could, what could the community give to to you as as a gift as uh, we head into the holiday season? Head into, we're in the middle of it. Well, there are the tangible gifts of books, et cetera. But I I really think it's being aware of the Family Resource Center's efforts in the community and partnering with us, Um, regardless of what you're doing. um, If you're a family um, in a neighborhood school, you know, go to that school and talk to them about Family Resource Centers and... and, um, Visit family resource centers, and if you're a community member, call call the local family resource center and see how it is you can support the center. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Barb, any? No, I, I do think Anna Marie's right. I mean, I think part of it, you know, we're really trying to build this consortium, this network of of support for the efforts for le- early learning for young children, um, but. If people are driving by and they happen to have some diapers in their car, it would be great to have those kinds of things. You know, our funding source right now actually is is fairly stable, but we are doing things like um, Templeton is just in their in the school library is now having a preschool area. So we're in the process of purchasing preschool books just so that there's a lending library for for really young children. Um, so contacting the individual centers, I think, would be really helpful. We're we're Anything that has to do with literacy, we're really willing to figure <laughs> out. You know, I mean, even posters, we really like to give parents things to take with them that are real good reminders to them of how easy it is to mm-hmm. just make your home a real learning environment. And, and if uh, if people want to volunteer at one of the resource centers, can they do that? Absolutely. Okay. And yeah. so in the last uh, 15 to 30 seconds here, what? how would they go about that? Do you have a one phone number, Barb, like your a phone website. number and, and a website? We do have a website, and if folks would go to um, www.monroecountykids.com, Monroe County Kids Count. Sorry, okay. <laughs> MonroeCountyKidsCount.com. Actually, it's a good um, resource for families, too, because it lists by age groups activities um, throughout the community that are available. There's a number of um, places. That, and the, or they can always just give me a call, and I will send them in the right direction. They can okay. reach me at 855 855- Three six seven four, and if I'm not there, you can also try my email at bhorvath at indiana dot edu. All right, that's h o r v a t h correct indiana dot edu. <laughs> All right, and we are out of time. I want to thank Barb Horvath and Anna Maria Mecca for being here with us today. For um, our engineer Mike Pashkash and Catherine Hegeman, our producer. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.